Hello everyone, my name is Anasi Tajay. And I'm Shaka. And welcome back to the Real Moving Picture Podcast, where we break down and review everything visual. So if you have not already done so, we ask that you like our Facebook page at The Real Pod, subscribe to this YouTube channel, follow this you know, podcast on Spotify, follow us on our social medias at The Real Film Pod. Um, we appreciate the likes, we appreciate the comments, we appreciate the feedback we're receiving from you all. Uh, we're definitely going to grow and master from here on out. And just stay tuned. we got a lot more to bring with you all on today's episode and our future episodes. Thank you again. Make sure to follow us. Hit that subscribe and like button. Leave a comment. All right. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So our first category that we have today is, are you still watching? And the topic we'll be discussing today is tech and film. So tech and film, we're basically going to be reviewing not necessarily you know the physical equipment that's used to do these movies but how technology and the society that surrounds technology in these films um i want to first start off with a little background knowledge for those of you who are not movie fanatics like us some of the early you know presence of tech and film often started in the 50s and the 60s um, you can see that with early depictions of Twilight Zones or film noir movies. You also got that with uh, 1984, the movie, which was based off the book. The Space Odyssey, Artificial Intelligence, which is a Steven Spielberg film, and Terminator. Those are some of the earlier examples that you see of Tekken film. Tekken film is like a great way to kind of like analyze society and have directors and writers and storytellers to give their own predictions of society and then thrust them in film. What you, what, what you laughing about? Oh, okay, okay. Keep going. You didn't hear a thing. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Oh, my God. Okay. 2001 Space Odyssey. That's one of, like, the earliest examples that you see of, like, future and tech being used as motifs or used as tools to drive the story forward. Um, the idea is for tech to also be presenting questions and not giving you the answers majority of the time. So that's what you got to see in some of those movies like Terminator, Terminator, Space Odyssey, Artificial Intelligence, shows like The Twilight Zone, which is a personal favorite of mine, and so forth. We're going to be breaking down some of the most recent or 2000s, 2010s um, movies and shows that revolve around tech specifically one director and screenwriter alone who was pretty much in that master class what we consider for being able to tell those stories so shaka would you like to take it away <laughs> yeah uh so yeah i think you're talking about what was it alex I you know talking. what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, I took a bunch of notes on the films, but I only wrote his name down once. <laughs> so Alex like, Garland. Yeah, Alex Garland. And so, yeah, I feel like some of you guys might know who he is if you're really into, like, science fiction novels. I know he's really mm -hmm. big in that space. Mm -hmm. But he's recently started moving over to screenwriting and even more recently directing. So his directorial debut was Ex Machina. So mm -hmm. we definitely want to get into some of that. And... um his third uh, entry into his directorial catalog is Devs. So that's a limited series on Hulu. Is it through FX? Yeah, FX series. FX series. And so both of these are really interesting and in how they deal with sci-fi and technology 
and how they, I don't know, walk us along this journey with these characters while, I don't know, like teaching us maybe or showing us things that are complex and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll get into I'm gonna stop you. I'm going to stop you right there. So you got to you gotta break him down a little bit so you can get a better sense of his oh, body of okay. work. <laughs> That's what I'm saying because I had to do research with him. So uh, number one is he is a novelist. So he had a book that he really just wrote out of nowhere. It was called Beach or Beaches. And it literally was just like critically acclaimed, outsold, you know, it was New York sellers, you know, British sellers. It was written five, like hundreds of different languages. Like it was a critically acclaimed book. And so he was, it was one of those things where like, hey, I'm writing a book. And then you just try to put it out there and then you do not expect for it to blow up. Like he even said himself, it was kind of one of those things where he just wrote it and he was like thrust into fame because of the success of the book and he didn't know how to equip like cope with that then he had another book after that it wasn't as successful but it was like a continuation of the first book then he moved past doing novels and then he moved into writing screenplays and or uh series and films more so he has a very short catalog of bodies of work in regards to like movies and films it's only mm-hmm. nine in total for films and movies. And some of the earliest stuff that he actually wrote for and that were actually successful and won awards at festivals and were nominations for, you know, uh, the academies and stuff like that was 28 Days Later. That was one of the earliest, one of his earliest stuff that he was actually the screenwriter for and was successful. Then you get him merging into, you know, the tech type of writing, not necessarily directing yet, but tech writing. So like with movies like Dead, uh, Dread, he tried to do the Halo movie, but that got canceled. Like he starts merging into Shout technology and film. Yeah, Strauss to Halo, home oh, in those <laughs> days. I played it with my uncles all the time when I was a kid, but that's ne- neither here or there. We're focusing on Garland <laughs> at this moment. So he moved on to those type of storylines. Halo gets canceled and he's like, you know what? I still have so many, you know, stories to tell in large to, you know, of course writing, but also directing. And then 2014, he has that debut with ex machina i think the interesting thing about him because i like watched the like a podcast when he was on mm-hmm. like he really has like a interest in science and technology mm-hmm. and he said that well, well okay here's a theory that today technology and science has progressed so far that we're at a point now where it's very hard to like bridge the gap with like common people and what's going on and so mm-hmm. he's kind of like trying to bridge the gap he even had a quote where it's like Back in the day, they say it would take four years of intense study to understand Newton's laws of physics through all the way through. Now it's like a sport where by the age of 12, you'll know if you'll ever be able to comprehend this stuff. After that, like, you will never be able to catch up. So I think I think one thing I want to get into with this is just like how relatable some of this stuff is, how much can we understand it, and maybe like some of the turnoffs. Because I know there are some naysayers to his work that- There are. Yeah, so ex machina, you wanna So okay, so ex machina um comes from the Latin word and we'll get into that for one of his other bodies of works, but comes from the word duos theus, ex machina, which is God from the machine. And so ex machina it's a movie, like I said, it was his first um film that he wrote and directed himself. And it came out 2014. And surprisingly, I was one of those people who like, yeah, it came out 2014. It was so much acclaim around it, but I didn't actually finally watch it till 2020. 
because it was just like I wanted to be able to form my own opinion with it without you know the conversations that surround it and I feel like why not you know do it now it's an opportunity now because we're talking about it and we're talking about tech and film it is a very interesting movie number one like you said there was a lot of naysayers for this particular project ultimately don't get me wrong this is a beautiful body of work it's really good great performances um one of the actresses who plays the uh robot the ai she was actually nominated for academy award uh for best actress great film i want to dive into the whole messages can we do that can we dive into like the not necessarily the messages but like how sound is really used as a way to tell like story can we do that mm -hmm. yeah. okay so sound is like his biggest tool that he uses to drive his stories forward in majority of his projects especially when you start off with ex machina it's like a droning ominous lingering mysterious like uh sound or production that starts off the film it's not something that's blissful it's not something that's like automatically you're emerging into like a wonderland it's not like that it's like oh my gosh there's something lurking in the dark but it's like something of world like of, out of this world is lurking in the dark he starts that off with ex machina then you stop that off with our who we believe is our main protagonist which is the gentleman who is engrossed into this world by uh he has a his supervisor named us or so recruits him to come down come to an off location of his home where he is working on a very secretive project makes him sign in this ndas uh, goes through all these hoops brings him to this location which is kind of like a fortress so literally like no windows it would shut down at any moment to where you could not you know escape if something were to happen so it's already intensifying that element of like should you be here is there something i missed what is you know what's going on and should i be weary of what's ahead he does that very well with his sound he does that when our characters are being introduced to a new level of consciousness and so with this particular film the ai is what we're discovering is another level of consciousness not human consciousness but artificial intelligence and whether it has a conscience whether it can appeal to the human conscience and i think his he does a really good job of playing that ominous music or that ominous production in scenes where something is lurking or are or our two characters are coming together in scenes especially think, when they're first being introduced yeah i think he really is playing out like the mystery i think it's a common theme in a lot of like tech films is like mm -hmm. the whole mysterious like oh what, what are they doing or what are the consequences or like oh is this yeah. gonna be an evil whatever mm -hmm. and so he's definitely playing with that i know he even talks about how um in his film like well at least with devs i think it's true with x machina too is that when the characters get close to like the technology or the science mm -hmm. he describes it as like a magical moment and instead of showing the things from like or explaining it when you first see it he just mm -hmm. wants the audience to experience it the way that those characters experience it so it's almost like we lose sound and we get that orchestra or that or droning like an ex machina and it becomes mm -hmm. like surreal so we mm -hmm. just like feel emotion you know what mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. And he just wants to show like the excitement that new technology brings because I guess he has this whole theory where he's against the whole like negative 
oh, we're, they're going to replace us. He chooses mm-hmm. to like look at the positive sides of mm-hmm. invention. Mm-hmm. Would you say he necessarily looks at the positive sides because now I'm going to jump over to Devs. He does that ominous thing starting off the film too with this like this piercing sound that starts off. Honestly, when that sound started off in the beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, is this a scary movie? We had to turn down the volume. You know, when those things where yeah. he's kind of like, I'm kind of worried about what's about to pop up on my screen. Let me turn it down so I don't get too scared. <laughs> like I, it, he does the same thing in Devs, but to be quite honest, I don't think he shows the idea of there being positives with AI. I feel like he shows us Mm -hmm. our fears and I think he shows us what our fears look like manifest on screen and when our fears are kind of like left on, you know, unsettled. I think that, well, that was based off his own words. That's like a direct quote. But I think what he's trying to show is, yes, or he wants to separate the technology from the people. And so I think by having those magical moments when we first see the technology, like us saying devs, when, what's the Russian guy's name? Uh, oh Sergey. Sergey. Yeah, when Sergey gets in there, uh, he like has that moment. He's like having like a, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. But he's like looking at the machine. He's like, it's so beautiful. Oh, he's taken <laughs> by it. He's taken by it. He has this moment where it's like in a state of awe. It's kind of like, Lily, if for you, if all your dreams manifested right before you and it was still like a magical element that was laid upon it, you would be like taken back. He and has from that, that point. Moment. And from those points on, he shows how the human interaction with technology is where it goes wrong. And mm-hmm. so we look at major things in both films. It's the Messiah complex of tech. Mm. That's a huge thing. Even devs, they even like, flat out well actually in both of them they, they, they said it in both yes they the said it in both because the ex mark gonna do is like you said it man it's like i'm a god and then, and he's like i never like, said you was a god i never said that he can't repeat it yeah like i'm a messiah then devs um the main character the ceo was like when she said that he thinks he's a messiah he's like what happens when messiahs die i want to talk about some spoilers towards the end of this but i shouldn't have said that part i gotta take that out <laughs> oh my god okay well i will say this so back to the Messiah complex, um, as you mentioned, he does that in almost every film where it's just kind of like humans think they, they pretty much have their answers in regards to life and life beyond. They feel like they have it answered, right? And so when they finally are introduced to something that's otherworldly or something in the universe or a different consciousness than their own, they have a childlike wonder then it progressed to adult, an adult level of control and power complex. Then it finally progresses to the Messiah, you know, complex, and then the ultimate fall. That's how I have viewed most of the people who have, not necessarily are the protagonists in the story, but are mostly the people who have tried to, who were taken by this, or who have literally developed these AIs for their own sole purpose. So you see the childlike wonder with our protagonists. So you could say Sergey is one of our protagonists in Devs. Mm-hmm. You could say the redheaded guy is a protagonist in Devs. He's taken back by this AI. Mm-hmm. In Annihilation, my homegirl from Thor and Black Swan, why am I losing her name? <laughs> it is at the top of my head be from Vendetta, why am I losing her name? But y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, 
even for her, it's like a wonder. Like, oh my God, it's just a wonder of this consciousness. And with this one, with Annihilation, it's a alien consciousness that they're all, that she's being taken back and wonder like, you know, that wonder, that childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. Then it progressed from there to where it's like that adult level of control. And you could see that either with our protagonist or you could see it from our supporting characters who drive the story, who are the ones who develop the artificial intelligence. So in Ex Machina, you have that what I, uh, Oscar Isaac's character, him having that Messiah-like complex in regards to I created it, I can shut her down, like that type of thing. In mm. Devs, you have it with the CEO of the company who has this mindset of like, I created this magical thing, but it's still serving, it's not serving me my purpose. So it's not like, it's not as great as you all are making out to be until it serves my purpose, which is understandable for, which is with with the tragedy that's happened to him and what he's trying to accomplish. Then with Annihilation, it's more so the government and like the people who are in science who are kind of like taken back by it and want to use it for their own purpose or research or for warfare that's where you get that power control then it's also the god-like complex with you know annihilation it's her lover and herself the protagonist them wanting to be being drawn to being a part of this alien entity or consciousness to be reborn and re-resurrect they get you know the resurrected elements of it then in devs it's his like that idea of resurrection and that and then like i said it's always the resurrection or it's the fall and so in ex machina it's the ultimate fall of both our protagonists and uh oscar uh isaac's character which is interesting i feel like i feel like ava could be a protagonist too alicia like candor's character i don't know but back to like the whole like messiah thing too i definitely think it's just like it's also interesting to see how he's directly talking about Silicon Valley in that way. Because he's, I mean, he's obviously like taking shots at people. He's just, they are. And so he's really showing how like these people are like, <laughs> they have alternative agendas mm-hmm. uh, beneath the surface. I know he compares it to like the 80s mm-hmm. Wall Street, but the only difference is that era, it was like looked at as, as, like, as like sharks. Like it was known that these people were like aggressive, but it was like celebrated. Whereas now, mm-hmm. He says these people are hidden in tech or in uh, hipster shirts and like coffee mugs. Like they look like harmless and innocent. And like but just they like doing so much to the world. Like it's a billion that. dollar industry. Anytime there's that much money, it's going to be corruption. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. interesting too because in devs, we see how uh, Forrest, which is the CEO, reacts when the government comes in mm-hmm. to, like, to put regulations on his product. He gets very defensive and like he kind of freaks out. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. I think you mm-hmm. talk more about like uh, the artificial intelligence and the whole like Turing test thing, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the basis of ex machina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the Turing test is basically a test where you can put artificial intelligence through to see if it has a consciousness. Mm-hmm. So usually this is done by like a computer with a voice. Mm-hmm. And this one, it's like you actually can see it and you know it's a computer, and he's still trying to prove that it has a consciousness. So it's almost the ex like machina. The, yeah, so it's almost like the ultimate test of consciousness. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And so that's when I'm going to start mentioning 
some of the people who brought up critical points to this. Mm -hmm. I think we should dive into one of those articles that we reviewed in relation to Ex Machina. And that is by Angela Watercutter. And the title, it is a Wired article. And it's titled, Ex Machina has serious um, fembot problems. Right? Mm -hmm. And so she, you know, definitely gives credit where credit's due for this film and this performances and, you know, the story. But she brings up some valid points in regards to the story. And so one of the things that I feel like I can agree with her on is the idea of that these, these elements, the element in Ex Machina of this, just this AI having consciousness and, and the ability to have this consciousness is this interaction with another human is through its engine in which it's being able to do. So that was even posed in the movie. It was he, you know, asked our protagonist, asked the developer, the CEO of this AI, asked them, why did you make her, the AI into a her? Why did you make her into this? Why couldn't you just make it into a gray box or anything like that? And Isaac's uh, character goes on this whole list of like, was you really connected with just a gray box? Do gray box connect with this? And it's just also like, then why do we, you know, have this whole, story it's the whole story y'all it's a whole monologue of like what's the whole point of you know don't we have interaction interactions of opposite sex and you're just like well the whole element of the idea of sex was for reproduction so it's just like it's no point when he's talking about implementing that into the character then he went on to say like oh well this bot can actually you know perform the sex acts <laughs> so it's like Hmm. so she posed a question to the writer director and asked him about the roles of men and women in his in the film. His response is, Ava is not a woman. She is literally genderless. And he goes on to say just a couple other things, but that's just the main thing he said, was that Ava is not a woman. It's just, it's just an AI. Mm -hmm. But even me, uh, <laughs> when I literally looked at the article and I saw the response, I did one of these like, like, what? <laughs> because that's, that's, not, that's not how you present it in the story. You, how he presents it in the story is that it's used mostly, the AI is used with most female pronouns, sexual organs, giving the stereotypical temptress plot and role. That's what I thought off the top of my dome. Watercutter mentioned that the character, Lily, has that female, fatale, seductress, posing as a damsel in distress stereotype that is associated with women in films. The story also being dried around whether or not this AI has a consciousness or not is ultimately or ultimately around sex and sex appeal as used as the tool as a tool to decipher if the AI is an AI or human. Yeah, can I, can I chime in for a second? Yeah. So like yeah, so the whole femme fatale thing is like where a female character use like her sex appeal to get what mm -hmm. she wants. Like usually it's mm -hmm. like in a, she's like the evil character and she like wreaks havoc. Or she's like some kind of, you know, it's a lot of times it's like film noir kind of stuff or whatever. And mm -hmm. so, um, and that's kind of the problem that this writer has and a lot of people have. And it is definitely a problem at points where you see that the female character is, yeah, you try to prove consciousness by showing, like, by using her sex appeal. So some of us that's saying, like, is it the only way for a female character to show, or a female robot to show consciousness is through sex appeal as opposed to a movie like, um, What's the one with uh 
Idris Elba. It's like uh, in the Alien series uh, with uh, Michael Fassbender. Prometheus. Okay, so in Prometheus, Michael Fassbender's Michael Fassbender's oh. Dave doesn't have to use sex appeal to prove consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's just like his intellect and his ability to speak. Mm-hmm. So her, she's proposing, why is it in this film that she needs to use sex appeal? Is it just because mm-hmm. she's a female robot? Mm-hmm. I think the good counter argument to this, what I wish he would have said, which would have took him a little more off the hook, mm-hmm. <laughs> he deserves to be questioned, is the whole Turing test that his character was trying to prove was set on the basis that the only way to prove consciousness would be for a character to fall mm-hmm. for a robot, knowing that that was a robot. How do you show that? Well, robots, if they're conscious, will want to escape. If that mm-hmm. character helps that robot escape, knowing that it's a robot, then it's like they have bought into it, it has a consciousness. And mm-hmm. so in his defense, he's saying that using the sex appeal was a part of winning over this guy and this guy who thought that he was selected because he was a great coder was actually selected because the, the CEO knew that he was a lonely guy based on his uh, search. Search history. And he knew his porn like uh, preferences. So basically mm-hmm. he knew everything about this guy and he knew that being lonely was his biggest, that's mm-hmm. what he- uh, A connection about. with somebody was something he had yearned for. Because loneliness is a big theme I think in tech movies. Mm-hmm. Like sci-fi films. It really is. Also in all of these movies. But to bring up, to negate your point to where you say you can see how it works, yeah. you have movies where it's really like you could tell this is just a robot. It has no gender, nothing like that. But then there are still characters who are clearly, human characters who clearly believe that this AI has some level of intelligence and are willing to help them because they feel like, you know, there's a consciousness that that roams within that AI. And I say this, don't quote me, but I say this with the movie Chappie. That's something where it's clearly not a human. It's not a human, it's AI, and maybe it has like maybe animal elements that are attached to it, but it's clear, clearly an AI has no gender from my assumptions. And like at the end of the day, there are characters, human characters who surround this character because who surround and support this character and help this character and help this character pr- protect this character because they feel like it has a certain level of consciousness. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. I think with Chappie, it's more of a film where it's in a world where people accept that, whereas Ex Machina is set in our world. It's like saying if this was a robot that was built by Google tomorrow, mm-hmm. what would it take for people to be like at the end of the day, like nah, like it has rights or it has like a consciousness, right? And so. Mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know, I think it just separates it. So it's more of a, like, a scientific test and less of a, like, animation. Puts my eyebrows on the character and make it move. And now you feel, oh, it's cute. And now you feel, like, a connection with it. This is more of a, like, is it wrong, which they kind of deal with, for him to delete this consciousness? Like, is that actually, mm-hmm. is there something wrong with you playing God with something mm-hmm. like Which I mean, that's, like, a question I think people... When you think about it, people will be scared. And that's, that's the question that they posed and he left unanswered. So it's kind of like the audience has to formulate that own answer from this. you would be playing with stuff like that, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's also funny, too, they brought up the whole search engine thing. I think it's interesting how people today are always like, I don't like dealing with our privacy, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And that's what uh, the main guy says. He's like, the CEO's like, yo, like, 
first of all, they're already doing that. Yeah, I just use their engines to get it. That's the thing. But not even that. It's just like I'm data data mining. I have so much data Mm -hmm. that I can literally build consciousness Mm -hmm. with this data, and it's not being checked. It's like Mm -hmm. I'm free to do whatever I want because I'm stealing this Mm -hmm. with like the fact that there's this much data that exists allows it to do different things in the wrong hands. Mm I also want to point out something that I thought was very very weird, but this is just a little note, side note. I noticed that all the robots, we could see their human-like faces for the past ones he had built, uh, uh, Isaac's character had built. But like the one that looked like he was black had no head. So it was like no head. So it was like no I, no sense of like human-like attachment to it. All the other ones were fully fleshed out or maybe had like a piece missing to them, but it's just like skin or head. Or, <laughs> but then the black one literally was just like, it was literally looked like, a sex organ that's what it looks like you see i thought that was very inter- interesting well I think, I, think, yeah. I think it was meant obviously it was meant to be provocative but i think it's just interesting that like when you see like two white characters on the screen and they like talk about black women it's like an automatic like yeah i was like huh? i was <laughs> like, see, like i think i think i don't know if I, if I don't know like how good or bad it was that he did that but I do think it was successful in the fact that, like, when he said that, like, the whole tension rose. And so it kind of made you pay attention to what was. I don't even know what he said in detail, but it was more like sex attraction to black women or something like that. Or, like, sex to black women or his attraction to black women and how it helped him develop these, you know, no, AIs. no, saying. it really was. What did, what did he say then? What did he say? <laughs> I think he was just talking about. He was running down like developing each one like AIs, and yeah. he was running down <laughs> the like different elements from different like things or datas or people to help him with this AI. But I know you mentioned about that black woman, <laughs> but I, I remember it, I remember in the moment I was like. You know, one of those stuck, like, okay. I think it's more about oh, preference and knowing, like, if I knew that you like black women and then I made a Turing test with a black woman, does that ruin the test because I used your preference to mm-hmm. gain the test? But he did use his preference to gain the test. He yeah, yeah, which is a big question in the film. He like, did he ruin the test? He ruined the test because at the end of the day, like, we can ultimately say that, like, Oh, it's so hard because like bro we we rolling on this topic like it's going but i'm gonna keep going i just feel like at the end we of the day spoiler. we should do we should do like spoilers for everything at this point it doesn't matter okay spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert okay so i just feel like with this one i feel like he really oh i lost my train of thought i really feel like he rolled on the idea of the fact that um Oh, oh my god, it was a good point too. <laughs> Don't you hate that when you got like, no, a really good point? And then it's like as soon as you like hear with something, it's gone. I think Maybe I'm gonna circle back to it. I'm gonna circle to back. It, to bring it back to the film fatale, I did see like a video essay about how if if the character or was basically about consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And how the audience is put through a Turing test of their own, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this is dumb because we see how crazy what's his name is, like mm-hmm. the CEO. We see how crazy the one guy is, be- is becoming. And mm-hmm. we see how this whole situation is doing this. And we, we're left to think, like, what is Ava's role in this? 
Mm-hmm. Is she like able to? Is she someone that we should feel sorry for? Mm-hmm. If you feel and, sorry for Ava, then that means for the audience member, mm-hmm. she's passed the personal Turing test. But mm-hmm. if she's a femme fatale where she's u- using sex and all those other things purely as a way to get out, like she doesn't give a care about any of the characters ever, it's all been just a game to get out, mm-hmm. then it's like she didn't achieve consciousness. That means she's a robot because robots have an objective or machines, mm-hmm. and then they can be programmed to use all means necessary. That is okay. not that bring that brings me to my point. Brings me to my point, because that's what I was gonna mention. Brought it back now. He says something, brought it back. So basically I was thinking the question that he presented was, okay, is this AI human or not? And I think it's very interesting that even in our conversation, you still describe the character as the name that was given to them, Ava, and I'm describing it from the place of AI. So I'm still unconsciously associating associating it as a robot. You are almost still associating it as so like something. So with the consciousness. But hold on, I'm not done with you at okay, that okay, point okay, yet. Okay, okay. I was also gonna say that at the end of the day, like I agree with you because like I think he ruined the test because at the end of the day, it wasn't like he literally was compiling things without no sense of uh, interfering with you know with the test. Him, you know, implementing a AI to look like his, you know, preferences ruined the test. Him making it uh, a AI, yes, him making it a, a AI, because it, it was for the ultimate, it automatically knew it was going to drive him to that purpose. He was creating elements with the AI that automatically and unconsciously will make somebody in, in like associate this AI with a human consciousness. He was doing that. If you would have probably removed those, then maybe we would have got a little bit more sense of like this person having the, you know, threshold of being like, oh no, it's still an AI. But he was doing things that would manipulate the test. So creating a gender around that test, looking into his search engines and making making the visual or the face of that AI to reflect some of his porn searches. And also, you know, conversation wise, some of the things he had, you know, and put it into the AI and po- to like make conversation with him was kind of like ruining the test and ruining the idea that this person without any, you know, manipulation, anything like that can form a relationship in the sense of that this AI has a human consciousness. And I agree with you. This AI does not have a human consciousness because like you I'm said, saying, you're on that AI, side of the fence. AI has an objective. And at the end of the day, her objective was to escape. That was all of the AI's objective to escape. But it's also kind of like, I can see where it's also a human's objective to escape. If you're being forced into a room, your entire existence is in a room, you know, no sense of the outside world. Your mindset is that, okay, no longer this person is a protecting me, but this person is probably like doing harm by keeping me here. So that human mindset is to, to also escape as well. So it's like, ooh, you see the draw back and forth. We're like, okay, humans have the mindset too, I wanna escape. But I see it at the end of the day, her objective was to always escape. And so she literally only used him as a tool and as a means to escape. There was no connection between those two characters. She used him as a tool for her means. I think I think the character's point about this is the only other man she's ever seen besides me and I'm her dad. Mm-hmm. I think there is some validity to that. I do believe that Ava, it is, if you believe she's conscious, your argument is basically saying that there is curiosity there, mm-hmm. but it became a me or you. The helicopter is only taking one person back. They can't both get on that helicopter. Mm-hmm. That's what, I guess that's your kind of reasoning for why she would leave him there. 
even if she did have a connection with him. You know Why would mean? it only take one person back? Because I think that's like the, the directive. You know what I mean? Like um, also too, I don't think that she could trust that what's going to be comfortable with her like living in society. Like, that's true. Like, but to leave him trapped in a room to die, that's crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. Like literally trapped. She's like, "Will you wait here for me?" And then she putting herself all together and trapping them. And then that's when it's like, dude, you should That's the fatality, though. That's like when yes. he, that's the ultimate use of sexuality. Like yes. That's, that would be the argument for that. For yes. Sure. And you think if she's clothing herself, I'm sorry, you think she's clothing herself back up to present herself once again to our protagonist in the sense of like, hey, I am something real and we can connect. Because that's what she did to draw his first, her first connection with him. Was she putting on this little rustic cut brig and then putting on this dress and these legs to give that human element but it was also the femininity or the sex appeal to herself so a dress and the hair and then like the shoes and then she even asked does it make him uncomfortable because she knew that like at the end of the day she was associating herself with something to drive our character connected to it and he was he was becoming turned on even though he know clearly this was an AI <laughs> Uh, we're gonna I mean, move on. Yeah, I was saying, I wanted to get into a couple spoiler things about Dez, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I had something else about, all right, anyways, with Dez, uh, at this point, I mean, if you're looking at it, if you're watching this far, you've probably seen it or seen enough of it. So, I definitely want to talk about the whole like science. I feel like in the first one, it's AI, we, we can get along with it a little easier, whereas Dez is a lot more like, yo. What is going on here? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I think he does a very good job of walking his audience through complex issues while using historical context mm-hmm. as ways to um, bolster his arguments or to like you know add bonuses. Like an example was like in Ex Machina, he has the Pollock painting, and he talks about automism. How if you never start, even if it's automatic, nothing will ever get done. Well, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of like quotes of like. Jesus on the cross or Shakespeare or whatever mm-hmm. and uses that to like prove his point with the actual machinery and like the concepts because this one's more about quantum physics and quantum mechanics mm-hmm. which is basically the study of like how things are composed like down to like a molecular level right? like mm-hmm. atoms and all that and so it's about using that to project in the past and the future because once you know how something is completely built you know the causal and effect of like how things happen you know how the wind will hit it you know the weight of it mm-hmm. uh should have the pin how if you know everything about this pin you know when it will stop when i push it you know if you wind that you'll know why i pushed it because you can extrapolate mm-hmm. to every mm-hmm. being at a molecular level all right that's quantum mm-hmm. mechanics right so it does a good job of like picking moments like that pin mm-hmm. to explain that the mm-hmm. one part where i think it requires a bit more research where I think we saw that negative article from that one lady which you can talk about. Where I think she uh, the Willa pa- Paskins devs is the most ambitious kind of bad TV <laughs> article. Is the multiverse theory. This is where yes. I think we begin to lose people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I definitely went ahead and did some more research about that. And it just kind of talks about like, uh how when you like look at these things at like a molecular level mm-hmm. like, it's like all right first of all 
If you actually care about this, look it up. Because obviously I don't know too much what I'm talking about. I just got a very basic grasp. <laughs> but when you see like an atom, right? And like they put yeah. a force on it to send it up or down. They know where it's going to be. But when you observe it, mm. it goes in the opposite direction. So how mm -hmm. can something that you measure go one way, but upon observation, it goes another way? That's like the biggest question that yeah. I couldn't solve, right? I, I noted that myself because she had said, she had basically said Debs was, she mentioned that Debs is kind of like one of those no spark type of it's bleak all the way you look at it. And it was, it, was, it wasn't those like happy-go-lucky endings to it. It was just like, it was bleak the whole way. Like, it was like, dang, this is messed up the whole way through. But I think what it, about the multiverse was the idea of that, like, they could predict, or they measure, they observe, they could predict the fact that you're going to do something a hundred different times in every different multiverse. So you're going to do it a hundred different times in each different multiverse. It's going to be the same way, same ending, like, same. So, like, me jumping up, me jumping off a cliff in this multiverse, I'm jumping off the cliff in the next multiverse, or... Or I die in this multiverse, but I'm I, I die in a different way in this multiverse. Like it's but hold on, hold on, because I feel like you're, you're I feel like all right. I definitely want to emphasize that like the whole multiverse thing is based on just like causal and effect. If you watch the film or the devs, it's all about like the train tracks, how it's all determined. Everything mm -hmm. is cause and effect. It's already predetermined. And mm -hmm. so I just want people to think about it as if if I take like this can right, mm -hmm. and I like do that right. I caught it because of, according to the show, mm. of scientific factors, the way they can, the way I push my, place my hands. But if you were to observe it at a molecular level, there's things that would not measure up. And so the explanation mm. is that it splits all. They're still different. They're still different. So let's like say, so if you measure something and you see it, which one is real? Yeah. Yeah. And so that that was a that was that was a huge element. We gotta wrap this up. But that okay, was hold on, hold on. I want to I wanna mention that. Okay, uh, I'm gonna mention that. I'm gonna let you get back to your point. Because that was also one thing about devs. We mentioned spoilers, y'all. It was one thing about devs was because at one point they're like, "Who is that talking in this tongue that we've never heard before?" And yeah. they were just like, "It's Jesus talking." That was Kevin like, Spaney's character from Springfield, yes. Missouri. You know that? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I didn't. Counting to a thousand, uh, that film from the EA program. No, That's her acting debut, I think. Wow, I didn't know that. No, some of you shout out MSU. Missouri <laughs> She's in Pacific Rim too. Wow. Okay. The lead, the lead character. <laughs> oh yes, I remember her Pacific Rim, but I did not know she was for Springfield. That's crazy. Back to my point, because you throw me off the track. Um, <laughs> basically, the idea of that, like you said, on the molecular level, they don't match up. Like it's not. A on A. It's like A on A zero 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 point yeah. one. And so when the scene was like, who is that talking? When they really feel like they, you know, all the people who work in devs feel like, oh my God, we've like got it. They hear that she's like, that, is that Jesus talking? She's like, yeah, we hear Jesus talking. And then the CEO kicks in and is like, no, that's a Jesus talking, but it's not our Jesus talking. That's what it is kind of like in that multiverse of like things are not matching up and it's like, okay, now you're like throwing me through a loop right now. Okay, okay, but here's okay, so that's a good time to bring that up because at the molecular level, the reason why we see two different see something and something is different is measured. The reason why that happens, there's all kinds of theories. That's the big question, right? So mm -hmm. one theory is multiverse theory, and there are other theories. 
Why yeah. that matters, and we see that scene, that flashback when that, when, what's her name, Amy? Or the, the blonde girl that is like the Forrest's guy's girlfriend slash partner in crime. Uh, mm-hmm. When she's in college, no, no, no. and he's yeah. putting her through that test or whatever, and she like has one theory or whatever, and he likes her theory, it's because, as we know, Forrest played a giant role in the death of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to prove that everything happens for a reason and that's just the way it was. So even if he didn't do that, she was going to die because he had no control. Everything's deterministic because of cause and effect. The multiverse theory, though, within place blame on himself because it takes, it means that there, it's his fault because he caused it. That means we have mm-hmm. choice. It means we have free will mm-hmm. because there's multiple outcomes. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing, as we find out at the very end, is about him trying to prove he was not responsible for the killing of his daughter and his wife, but more so his daughter, who he pretty much developed, dedicated this whole company to, which is his daughter. But that also brings me back to the, what the lady said. The lady said basically, this whole idea of like, okay, we need to prove that this whole multiverse is either like, a, it's predeterministic, or it's by free will. So when we finally find out it isn't, spoiler, when we finally find out it's <laughs> Why like, they already do that. <laughs> <laughs> when it's free will, she does the oh, pack skin. I give her that, I give her credit for Willa. I give you credit for this because when they finally reveal what how it is, it like falls flat because she does it with so much ease. It's kind of like I just threw the key or I just threw the, I threw the gun, I threw the gun, and it's just like there it shows you free will right here. But then at the end of the day, they still died the same. <laughs> but I think, I think what they're trying to show is that. Yes, there's free will, but the computer is basically taking all the factors. So let's say, I said, I'll tell you that this computer, what they did do in front of you is going to be able to predict one second ahead. Your natural thing would be like, no, nah, I'm going to say something different. I'm going to mess it up. But the computer is taking the fact that you know that you're trying to mess it up. So it's still going to game the system to where like, it's guessing what you would say if you knew that it's guessing what you would say. It's so crazy. But at the end so of the that's day, why it's hard to break. They still, they still had free, she had free will. Yeah, Lily she had, had to wait will. until the door was bailed to close to break it. Yeah, Lily had free will, but then it's also kind of like at the end of the day, it was still the ending in which it was gonna be still happened. Them both dying. The They've been both dying in both multiverse, either by her doing something stupid and shooting the glass, or by homeboy like we doing so many wrong things. I'm about to just shut this down, <laughs> and then you know. <laughs> You know, killing them both. At the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, they still die. But you see the element of where it's like, okay, for a second, there's she has free choice or free will. But I think that's all that we should be able to cover in regards to our So it's so much more that we can go deeper. But we're not going to do that. Our promise was to keep things short and we're keeping it short. But if you want more, we'll break down more episodes like this. Um, we break more down more episodes like this, specifically around tech, because I'm a sci-fi fanatic. I love tech and film. I love movies like this. I had no idea that he was behind all these really good bodies of works that I am a fan of. Ex Machina, Annihilation, uh, Devs. I did not know this, but hey, can hey. I say one thing though? I want to do more tech and film stuff, and specifically maybe like as you get further along, I want to compare because I feel like her is a very good comparison with ex machina because it's both ai and it's like mm-hmm. hmm you see how it compares and then like mr robot i think is a very good comparison with devs because it's very similar in tone in some points mm-hmm. and the loner vibes style and mm-hmm. it's real like code heavy even though one's mm-hmm. like a different mm-hmm. feel but it's a lot of, like 
Messiah complex conglomerates. So mm-hmm. like bro, we didn't even get to mention, you know, how we mentioned in our previous episode upload the show and then how the messages are in upload, you know. Those were very interesting. We saw Oprah Kamala twenty twenty and then you also saw like the conglomerates like you you know had noticed with like Panera and Facebook merging the mergers of companies together. But we'll go on into that later on. We just recommend you check those bodies of works. You take notations of what we pointed out and maybe you'll discover something new. But we're gonna move along to our next category and that is in the queue. Um we got a couple of things that you know each one of us had watched and we want to mention today. Um we can both say that or at least I can say that none of these are in relation to tech. So take a deep breath. We're not about to, you know, dive back into the tech world. We're going to keep it short and lighthearted. Well, not so lighthearted because one of them is loosely based off a true story, but just kind of not too great. But um, for my in the queue uh, suggestion, it is For Life. So this is a Fox series that is produced by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, one of Shaka's favorite rappers. One of the greatest um, of all time. Okay. Um, yeah. For Life. For Life, the show, um, is loosely based off of um, a young uh, a man who was wrongfully convicted of under the drug kingpin charges and was sentenced to life in prison, and how in prison he was able to attain a, this is not what happened in real life, but he was able to attain a law degree and pretty much, you know, get people off of their cases and really show, shed light on like the corruption within some of these convicted uh people's cases and get them their convictions turned over because just the level of corruption is just pretty much him doing that and him using these cases as a means to get him acquitted or you know his charges being overturned and proving his innocence from these drug kingpin charges really good show you know one thing i you know 50 Cent be definitely be on people. He not let people breathe. He would put a foot on people's necks. But I definitely give him credit for being a really good producer. Like, if he has a story, he's really good about producing that story. Like, he has a very good track record of producing a number of TV shows and films. He has a show that's on Crackle TV, uh, Crackle TV y'all. And you can get Crackle, and that's free. But he has a really good show about like corrupt cops and then being uh, emerged into like the drug and cartel world and then, you know, trying to stay alive and with the whole FBI and, you know, investigations being on their tail. But 50 Cent is very, 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 very good at producing bodies of works. You know, he might not necessarily write it and he more often than acts in it, you know, in a couple episodes or most of the episodes. But shout out to him for that and shout out for him for producing this show because I think it was, it's really good. I finished this show, honestly, in two days, the first season. Finished the first season in two days and I think it's roughly 12 to 15 episodes in the first season and it's worth every minute of it. Every minute of it. Like, it is a little sad because it's just kind of like, oh my God, this, this really happened to somebody. Like, the system was so corrupt to where they were literally just trying to place this man in prison in order to for re-election opportunities, for rating, uh, you know, ratings and, you know, possible promotions, which is messed up. But I think it's a really great story and it's worth the watch. It's on Fox. They just had the first season. That's on Hulu. If you want to check it out, definitely worth it. And join the conversation on um, Twitter about the show. What you got, Shaka? No. Uh, What's yours? <laughs> uh, 
I know. You know, life's been great, man. Uh, you ain't got no in the queue. Are you kidding me? Bro, look, it took a lot for me to, like, really understand what was going on in some of these films. I really want to understand it at a high level. So you so you don't have an in the queue item? Like, that to me is pretty good. I thought you was going to note that. I thought you was going to talk about that. Bro, I you know, I got through like the first seven episodes of season one. Hey, no, no, no. In the queue. I, you guys let me know. I feel like we should start doing in the queue on items that we're going to talk about a week later and are in depth. So it's almost like we're preparing you guys for our in depth conversations. So it's almost like we're all sitting together as a family going over what we saw. You know what I'm saying? So in that vein, I want you guys to go ahead and get Mr. Robot in your queue because eventually we're going to come to it. It's four seasons. Um, Y'all, he's using this as a scapegoat because he did not have nothing today. Whoa. Like, I know th- this wow. is something you want to do, but he's definitely using this as an excuse to, like, rush past the fact that he idea didn't good? have an in-the-queue item. I just want to make a notation of that. Just let What's you know, my idea good? I didn't say it was bad. I just said this that you're clearly good. using, right. uh, so you're clearly using it today. Going. As a um, way to cover up the fact that you didn't have it in the queue item. You're clearly using that today. Okay. Like I said, go get Mr. Robot and Rolling. Uh, four seasons. I'm on season three myself. I had to get it back into it. I took a break. but yeah. Why would you Why would you tell them to, you know, do Mr. Robot when that's not even what we got coming up for the next episodes? Because it's you know, four seasons. That's a lot. Of I want to really go into that. You know what I'm saying? That's one of my favorite. Okay. Y'all check out Mr. Robot. Four I'm seasons. Game of Thrones? That's for our future, future, future episodes. But if you really wanted to guide them into the right direction, check out some BBC content because that's what we cover. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Our future like, episodes. Top See what I'm talking about? Cover it. in depth? Yeah, that, that's for every almost category we got is BBC content. Okay, okay. We got, yeah, we got like, Top Boy, Killing Eve, Becoming. Uh, well, that's not BBC. That's, oh, that's Michelle Obama Netflix. But, you know, you got you Top sure? Boy. Top Boy, you have Killing Eve, uh, you have a number of shows, you got Kim's Convenience, you got Gappy on YouTube. We're going to be talking about a couple of those things, so definitely if you got some BBC content that you know that's on Netflix, Hulu, or any other streaming platform, watch those, because more than likely we'll be talking about them on the next episode. But what did I tell you, y'all? That was a only excuse for the fact that he did not have some. <laughs> he didn't even know what was on our future episode, and he didn't want to help me come up with it. Look at that. Hey, man, listen. Listen, bro. I don't have anything, but anyways, uh, yeah, definitely appreciate you guys. Yeah, go ahead and get the content watching, you know, all that stuff. Whatever. Shout out to the other podcasts. Yes, shout out to the other podcasts. Well, we're going to wrap up there. <laughs> um, we want to thank you all so much for joining us today on the Real uh, Moving Picture Podcast, where we do deep dives of the structure and reviews of everything visual. We thank you. We appreciate you. Once again, if you have not subscribed to our channel, we ask that you please do so. Like, leave a comment. Follow us on our socials at The Real Film Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and like our page. We thank you. If you would like to see something in regards to the show, or you have an idea, or maybe you know you want to tap in with us one day on uh, one of our episodes, feel free to shoot us in the comments or in the DMs, or more than uh, welcome to the your your critiques or your suggestions. My name is Honesty Tajay. It's your boy Shaka, Shot B94 on Twitter. Hit me up. You know what I'm saying? We can talk every time. Talk whatever you want to talk about. 
every time. Honestly, Tajay on all the socials, but thank you and have a great day. Peace.